Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey, CJ Wesley. CJ and the Duke reaches a wide variety of ServiceNow admins, devs, architects, and product owners. If you want your brand in front of an audience with views in the thousands, check out the description below for sponsorship options. Last episode, we were talking about the service catalog, and we thought it was going to be too big for one episode. So here we are, Corey. What's up with catalog? Part two. When last we met, we didn't talk about two mistakes when designing catalog items. Specifically, we're talking about requests. And the two biggest mistakes with the request is the mega request and the generic request. Is generic request a mistake or just something you got to be careful about? It, it really depends. It could be either or. From my perspective, though, what's a clear-cut mistake is the mega request. The mega request is effectively your whole service catalog rolled up into one catalog item. So instead of having discrete items, you get this one massive item with a hundred different variables. And, and let's talk about the slowness. I've seen one of these things take longer than 30 seconds to just load on the screen. Do you think that a user is going to be patient enough to actually interact whatever shows up there? Right. And I think when people see that, their first instinct is to blame ServiceNow. ServiceNow is slow. It's like, no, you have like a million form transformation rules all running in real time because you're trying to squeeze everything into one form. Exactly. It would be like running your incident problem change CMDB all through one process, one mm -hmm. form with one workflow. It's just going to be massive. It's going to be slow. It's not going to do any of them well. And at the end of the day, it's going to have this gigantic cluster you're going to have to segregate as you get deeper into your maturity levels. Yeah, it doesn't do anything spectacularly well. And for that, you end up paying a huge maintenance cost. Right. So if you want to tweak this thing, if you want to make a change, then you actually add a new functionality to it. How do you do that without breaking everything else? Well, the regression testing alone takes probably as long as the development work. And you know, really, there's much better ways to do this. You know, ServiceNow gives you an entire service catalog to work with, multiple catalogs, actually. You've got multiple categories, multiple workflows and integrations. and, and Plus search. Know, plus search, <laughs> yeah. right? Plus search. And there are so many different ways to do a catalog item that designing everything into one massive request is just plain lazy at this point and is just you, really bad. What do you think people are getting out of it? Clearly the intent is to build multiple catalog items. What do you think motivates people to try and collapse them into one mega request? So the things that I've seen have been partners who have sold a client that somehow this mega request is better than breaking these mm -hmm. down into several discrete catalog items. I've seen the novice admin who's new to service now, so they weren't advised away from this method. And then the third reason is the product owner of ServiceNow thought the user base couldn't handle a fully functioning service catalog. Right. right? So they just want to put one item in front of the user base and say, just select whatever you need from this one item. It's going to be easier for you. We don't trust you with anything better than this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way I think of it is a vote for the mega request is a vote against search. Yes, not only a vote against search, but a, a vote against properly categorizing your work. Yeah, that's a good point because if everything's broken out into its own catalog items, you can report on how much time does it take me to do an onboarding request? How much time does it take me to do a firewall open? If they're all Absolutely. separate for catalog items, you can build metrics around the rendering of the services that you propose. But if you have one big mega request due to the mechanical difficulties of reporting on variables, 
you can't get any deeper than how long does it take to run requests. And then you're still not going to capture all of the frustration that the user is going through finding the appropriate selection on this mega beast. Right. Right. It's, it's taking 30 to 45 seconds to load. It's yep. taking another 10 minutes for the end user to actually locate whatever functionality they're trying to execute. And you know what else? The illusion is you're going to save them picking the wrong item or searching for the wrong item, but they still need to get to the end point. If you have 50 things you're offering via the catalog, whether they're 50 catalog items or 50 things in a mega request, they've still got to get through something to get to the thing I want. And the failure rate will be as bad or worse using an end tier category tree as just allowing them to search for the blankety blank catalog item. Right. You're going to end up with so many more requests submitted that don't match what the user's intent was in this way than mm -hmm. you would if you just built out a functioning service catalog. The mega request is, is my itch in the, in the service <laughs> catalog. Why would you do this before we do anything else in the service catalog, right? This thing has got to go. Right? Yeah. You've got to know that we can't sustain this. I clearly think that the mega request is a mistake. I can't think of a reason where I'd want a mega request of any variety. And so uh, less on the severity scale, but still something you got to be really careful about is the generic request. So the story is you start your ServiceNow implementation. You don't know all the things that you want to put in the service catalog. Plus the things that you know how to do don't encompass all the things that somebody could request. So there's an intense primal urge to just submit a generic request. Um, <laughs> it goes to the service desk or whomever, but it's pretty dangerous because it could be a multi-step workflow that may not have a flow. It might right. not be something that belongs to the service desk. It might be something that's already available as a service catalog item. There's all sorts of ways this can get wrong. So it becomes a trash heap. Well, maybe not a trash heap. It just becomes this garbage magnet. Yeah, it's like a dumping ground for work. Those are two malicious terms, I think, but it's an area of confusion and unknown, and you're still trying to control that in some kind of process. But there's also the assumption that the work is going to get done. And that's the danger of generic requests because you just don't know what somebody's going to request. So if you're in healthcare, their app that drives the world is epic, right? So what if somebody puts in a generic request for let's deploy this Epic module or let's upgrade Epic. You're talking about a project that can take like thousands of hours. It could keep an entire like stable of people employed for a year. Yeah. So there's absolutely. just, there's no, no way to gauge a, how big is the bread box and B should we do it? Yeah. But look, man, not my problem. I submitted the request. It's up to you to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, that's the mentality that you encourage, right? So, you know, one thing you do actually get out of generic or you can is that you can track work that you're not tracking already. And maybe there's a better way to do that in service now. What do you think, Robert? Yeah, there is. And everybody should look at the demand module because demand management is the process by which we size and shape a body of work and decide if we're going to do it or not, which to me gets to the heart and soul of what people do when they create the generic IT request. It's like, we don't have a workflow for this, but tell us what you want. But we don't know the size of that want, and we don't right. know, and we shouldn't immediately assume that we're going to do that work. That's the job of demand management. So what I am encouraging my friends and customers and whatnot, I always try and promote demand. 
especially if they have ITBM. Like, why not put those things in demand? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great idea. Ultimately, the job of the generic request should be to track work that you don't know exists, but you want to account for at some future date. So you've already planned out your right. service catalog, you have your various categories and your items, and you know that you're missing some things. You don't know exactly what those things are, and you're going to rely on generic requests to fill in yeah. the blanks later. And right. in my view, demand is the sleeper hit of ServiceNow because it becomes a whole lot more structured way to deal with the entire front end of work management. So you take every one of those generic service requests, you open demand up to a wider audience than just the PMO, and you start right. having honest questions like, hey, somebody asked for this. Like, what's it going to take to do it? What type of thing is it? Right. It could be an incident. It could be a problem. It could be a SecOps incident. It could be anything. What type right. of work is it? How big is that body of work? And should we do it or not? Those are all things that demand can answer. I think demand has a, the benefit of asking those questions where generic request really demands the answers to them, right? Yeah. Because when you submit a request, you assume that somebody's going to do something about this. Yep. Somebody's going to action it. It's going to get completed. I don't care how you put it out there that I can request something. I'm requesting it. You figure out what happens next with demand, right? You have these guardrails where you go through this process and you determine, is this even pertinent to what we do? So I do agree with you. I think demand is a much better way uh, of triaging uh, work intake, right? Especially right. work that's unknown. The only thing I, I'd say to that though, is that sometimes demand can be a little more than what's necessary from my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. You start with an idea and that idea can transition to a demand. But what if that idea is more like, hey, there's a catalog item out there in the description. We like to change one sentence from A to B. Mm -hmm. Does that need to go all the way through the demand process? Or can you just say, I approve this idea. Let me create a story for it and just have someone do it. Right. It's going to take an hour of work. It's really low risk. Mm -hmm. Can't we just look at it, approve this thing, send it straight to a story and get it done? Hmm. So I do have some thoughts on this. Okay. Um, I think ideation is rapidly maturing. I don't necessarily think that everything needs to start at an idea. I think you have a record producer that gets you to demand. Um, and, and skip ideation completely. Um, no. I mean, I don't mind that things go to demand. I also don't mind when you have more groups than just the PMO managing demands. Agreed. I think you can take a group that says the demand is change this notification on ServiceNow. And demand currently has four outputs, right? Change, project, enhancement and defect. Now, what I love about the enhancement and defect outputs is that A, it doesn't assume that you're using Agile, but B, right. if you are using Agile, it gives a place where the product owner can say, okay, listen, their enhancement says X, that's going to take Y number of stories. So I'm looking at the enhancement. I'm like, yep. As soon as I build these five things in stories, put in sprints, then that enhancement's complete. So it just gives a layer 
that adds more nuance to how the teams manage it. So if you're at that stage, hey, just change the typo in the description. Let's still work. The demand says it's an enhancement. We're going to do it. It's not a project though. So like, don't expect that level of scrutiny. Okay, it's an enhancement sitting in the ServiceNow product owner's space. Let's get it into a story and put it into a sprint. When is it actually going to get done? The only gaps is like a demand comes in and it's like, I'm getting an error XYZ on this application. Like customers will do that. You can't stop it. So I think clever use of UI actions can give you an area where you can say, okay, like it landed in demand because it was a quote unquote generic request. And let's just convert this to an incident. Yeah. Right. Do that via UI actions versus the four different demand process outputs. Right. Right. Like I give you a story the same way, right? And a, a UI action from the idea, from the demand directly to the story, you know, bypassing sometimes that enhancement defect product owner process, mm -hmm. right? And just create the work that needs to be done, especially when it's really low effort, throw it in the story, let somebody pick it up out the backlog and just knock it out in an hour, right? I view this as kind of like the difference between chess and checkers. So when you're playing checkers, and you want to make a big, serious move, right? And you start jumping pieces. And if the board is set up in a certain way, you can jump four, five, six different pieces, right? And that's really mm -hmm. like boom, 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 boom. A lot of satisfaction when you do that, right? But it took a while to actually mechanically move your checker across the board and jump like six or seven different pieces. Now, when you're playing chess, on the other hand, right? And you got the bishop and you want to take a piece, you could just slide it all the way over to the other side and take that piece. There's mm. no jumping. There's no extra mechanical movement. We're just going to go straight to the end game. From my perspective, sometimes, depending on the level of effort required of the work, let's skip all the jumping around from the enhancements to the defects and letting the product owner review and then send it somewhere. Let's just say this thing takes an hour and a half. Send it to a story and let somebody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, like, I'm, I'm halfway with you on that. I definitely see that there's a wider number of tasks than demand outputs to, and those yeah. should be reconciled via different uh, UI actions. But um, I think demand still with a little bit more thinking, Yeah, just get it out of the PMO and open it to a wider audience, deal with the non-conventional outputs via UI actions. But I still like the conventional approaches letting stories be a consequence of enhancements and defects and not jump from demand to story. I can imagine a case where a BA is assessing the demand. The demand might be ill-defined to the point where you want to make it like an epic. You know what yeah. I mean? It comes down to the enhancement from the demand management side. It gets passed over to the product ownership who looks at that and says, man, we really got to refine this before we do any work. Let's make it an epic. You know what I mean? You can look at one enhancement and the net result of that could be entire sprints. So I'd, I'd hate to have a demand manager set the stage for stories when they're not part of the agile framework. They're just like, hey, look, we need this. I could definitely see that perspective too. In this scenario, I think what we come down to is that this isn't one size fit all. I think there's a, a case to be made to go through the rigor of enhancement, defect, product management, deciding whether or not this gets created as a story or maybe mm -hmm. it's bigger than a bread box and it becomes multiple stories or even an epic or god forbid maybe it even gets kicked out and becomes a project and 
the demand that seemed pretty benign on its surface was really asking for an entire new process to be built. What we do agree on is that demand as an output of a catalog item, where you would normally say, let's make a generic service catalog item and create an SC task that goes to the service desk, that yep. might be better suited as a demand than a catalog task. And yeah. you should maybe play with that idea. That's where Corey and I agree the most on is that demand is a better front end for sizing and shaping of work and deciding if we're going to do it or not than generic request will ever on its best day hope to be. Man, that's a really good way of summing that up. You know, just scrap the whole idea of generic requests and, and mm -hmm. you know, drop in demand as the front end and go from there. The unfortunate thing is demand is like packaged in ITBM. So yeah. for those who don't carry ITBM, like, first of all, shame on you. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love ITBM. I think it's awesome. I, um, I take a contrarian view to that. I'm not a huge fan of it. I do love demand though. <laughs> yeah. Demand is awesome. And I think the thing you really got to do, and we've said it three times already, I'll say it one more time. When a company decides to use ITBM, they have a clear sponsor for that, the PMO. And therefore, anything that gets deployed there, the PMO thinks is theirs. But demand is such a powerful tool. You really got to think of it beyond the PMO. And as much as you can talk to the PMO in advance and talk about demand and how it can be like a front door for everything, and the PMO can just intervene on one of the outputs project, you'll be in a much better place. And then you have the luxury of entertaining these crazy ideas that Corey and I have about replacing generic service requests with demands. Moving on from there, the next part you know, of catalog that I think is really important is the workflow that controls how work gets done, who does the work, and then it pushes the process along, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but once I say this, you'll never be able to not notice. If you watch a movie or a TV show, there's this kind of symbolism that happens to move the scene forward. You'll notice that people are always walking as they're kind of transitioning the scene or the story forward. It's this weird thing, right? I noticed it once a long time ago, and then you can't unsee it once you start to see it. As the story starts to mature, people are walking and talking, and that's just kind of like a cue to your mind that we're moving on to the next scene or the next part of the story. Workflow kind of does that as well. A workflow is about taking that intake from the customer. They want this thing, and then we're going to move that forward in a structured way until we get to the end. Lots of different ways to do that once you're inside of a workflow, but ultimately it's the three different processes. You're going to initiate, that's the catalog item. Uh, you're going to run the workflow. That's the process of it all. The things where you maybe have an approval and that's going to come into play. Maybe you're going to have a timer where you're waiting to execute something because some other group needs a few hours before. There's maybe a run script in there because you need to set some values based on some other things. Eventually, you're going to close the workflow. Someone's done the work. We verified it. Everything's good. We're going to send out a notification and boom, process closed. And that's a simplified view of it because there are lots of different things that can be nested inside of a workflow of anything from integrations to orchestration and the full automation. Yeah. You know, Robert, what's your take on this? I would encourage the audience to be mindful of those three things, the initiate, the flow, and the closure. I think most people have a bias to just think about the flow. But because I'm mindful about the initiation, I think about things like, okay, well, a workflow is going to output a request item, an SC task, and a request. And just going back to episode one, let's just worry about rhythm and <laughs> SC tasks for right now. But 
if you just went into a workflow and said, create an SE task, do this, do whatever, what's the subject right. line of the request item? What's the short description of the request item? Right. It's just the name of the catalog item. So because I'm concentrating on initiate, I'm not taking just the short description of the rhythm for the rhythm and the SC task short description. When I look at my list view of SC tasks, I don't want to have the same short description over and over and over again. Yeah. I want to have context. Um, yeah. Account modification request for Bob access yeah. X to Y in the short description so that I can look at my task list and make a quick decision, do work quickly, and hopefully not even drill into the ticket. So think about how these things should look when they are created. A lot of my workflows start with a run script that just modifies the request item in the way I want. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's a really good point. When I think about my workflows, I typically start off with a run script as well, but I'm instantiating variables, right? Scratchpad variables, mm -hmm. I'm collecting data and using it so I can reference it a lot easier. And the rest of the items inside of the workflow, it never occurred to me to use that run script to instantiate context, you know, for the work that's going to be done by the person that's doing it. It's a really right. good point. My other thought is that there's not enough attention on measuring the items okay. at all. I get a lot of questions about, hey, Rob, we just finished that project. It was awesome. What do we do next? What product can we install? And it's like, you don't necessarily have to go wider. You can just take what you have and refine it. So oh, yeah. you've just put in your catalog and you probably were in a hurry to put it there, right? So you're just yep. get the workflow in, whatever it takes, and let's not go super nuanced. But then if you measure these things in terms of the time it takes to complete the rhythm, the time it takes to complete the SC tasks within the rhythm, then what you can do is say, hey, look, let's take apart our longest average running workflow. Why does it run so long? Let's take a look at the times that the subtasks take. It takes us three days to get approval. That sounds like a problem. <laughs> sounds like a problem to me. Yeah. You know, let's refine the workflows that we've put in so that the stuff we know how to do, the catalog items, we can do faster and faster. And how would we make those things faster? Now we go into Corey's world. Yeah, now we start talking about integrations, automation, orchestration. This is my favorite part of service now. I'm an, I'm an IT guy. I've been doing IT since I was a kid. I'm completely self-taught, been diving into computers, building them or whatever. Long story short, like I love to connect things together. I love to make things do things on their own. I hate wasted opportunities and I want to get people doing the things that people do best, which is the intellectual capital tasks. And I want to get systems doing the things the systems do best, which are the repetitive mundane tasks. So workflow is absolutely the right place to be when you start thinking about those sorts of things. The new hire process is one of those places where I see the most gains where mm -hmm. you go from a system where you've got an IT guy and sitting at a desk and say, like, all right, we got this paper request that came in. We got a new guy starting on Monday. What do we do? Well, I'm going to load up by uh, Active Directory users and computers, and I'm going to create a new AD account. Or we're going to spin off a, a PowerShell script, and we're going to do that for you. We've already asked uh, the end user for the first name, last name, user, all of that stuff. I'm just going to go ahead and do that. All of a sudden, instead of having to create that account, you get an email saying that the account's been created. And now you can do the next part of the system, which might be a provision in a desktop, which is something that we can't necessarily automate completely. So keeping an eye out for tasks like that, that can be done with automation that can save you time 
and, and save you trouble, really. Don't forget integration, too. It's like this might not be best solved by us. Maybe a third party can do this task better than us. So in this stage of the workflow, we just call an integration and do an e-bond with somebody. Yeah, that brings me to, you know, the saying that I like to tell my clients all the time. It's not about whether or not ServiceNow can do the work because ServiceNow can practically do any work you throw at it. It's if ServiceNow should be doing the work. And so integrations absolutely, you know, come into play when you start thinking about if we should be doing the work and whether there's already an existing system that does this for us and can we connect to it and track it along the way. So again, workflow is a great place to nest integrations so that we can build out a fully featured uh, process. And the more of these things you build in, we start talking about it, initiate, you know, the workflow, we start talking about measuring it. Now we're talking about integrations. We're talking about automation and orchestration. You start thinking, is this an app? I don't know. Robert, what do you think? Ah, uh, catalog items as proto apps. This is one of my favorite topics actually, because once you're really successful on catalog, and my first brush with ServiceNow was buried in success on the service <laughs> Don't be modest now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we took an onboarding process and we took it from weeks to hours and days. The customers were so happy about it because like, it really wasn't an IT thing. It was like IT had a third of the jobs, but they were the jobs that always failed and people were pissed off about. But once they brought it all together, then all of a sudden everybody came out of the woodwork and said, oh, I need this. I need that. Like, and it, were, it wasn't traditional IT requests. And we just like, yeah, sure, man, load it up into the catalog. And sometimes you get stuff, you're going to listen to it and your spidey sense is going to tingle. And you're like, this is for sure a custom app. But the problem yeah. is you're in the middle of something else. You got your marching orders and you don't have time to treat it as an app. So like my case is use catalog items as the prototype. To some extent is bashing a square peg into a round hole. It's not as smooth as you want it, but now that it's in workflow and in catalog, at least we have an intake process. What did you have before? Email. Yeah, Great. Okay. Yeah, follow me, so. right? <laughs> yeah. Great. So, to, so use the catalog, use the workflow, and then it's going to be in. Some people are going to be happy. Well, a lot of people are going to be happy, but then they're going to be like refinements. Now let's talk about what's the difference. When do you know you need an app? Or at what point do you start thinking app versus the catalog items? That's a really good point. So at what point do you start to consider that the process that you're working on is bigger than what the service catalog can provide? Personally, I start thinking about how does it do integrations? Is it doing its own integrations? Do you need distinct tables and fields to host this thing? Are you like running run scripts that are building out these additional tables and fields where you're collecting mm -hmm. data outside of the variables? Do you need to provision security around this in such a way that only certain people have access to admin, or maybe you want to give other people, non-IT users, to be in a privileged position inside of this application? Like, so those are some of the questions that I think about when I think in application versus a service catalog. It's exact same three for me. I usually start at security. Is it okay that other people who work the catalog can see this? And sometimes that's absolutely not okay. So right. if you're in the case, it's absolutely pivotal that only this group of people can view these items. You're probably outside the realm of catalog. That's right. when you start want to think about custom apps.
And then when we talk about distinct fields and tables, everybody listening should know this. Reporting on catalog variables is not the nicest, coolest thing in the universe, right? It's, <laughs> it's difficult. But if you need the values of these fields as key success factors, maybe it's better for reporting purposes that this thing becomes an app. Yeah, agreed. Those are my go-tos. I'm kind of so-so on integrations. I know I can call integrations from Flow Designer. So that's not my game. I rely on you, Corey. Like, what is it that's different about calling integrations from a custom app versus a Flow Designer on a catalog item? You know, it's really about whether or not the integration is almost the entirety of the process. If you're looking at multiple integrations, you're looking at where the integration is mainly what you're trying to achieve through the service catalog, you know, or through a catalog item. I'm starting to think about maybe this thing is more of an app or maybe it doesn't even exist as either. And it's some sort of background process. I don't know. I start to think about when an integration becomes a little bit more complex than send some data somewhere or retrieve some data from somewhere based on like X, Y, and Z that the user provides. When it gets a little bigger than that, I'm starting to think about whether or not to make this thing a little heavier so that we can put better controls around it. All right, folks, we are at 45 minutes of record, which means it is time to go to bed. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I am Robert the Duke Fedoric. I am Corey, CJ Wesley. And remember that CJ and the Duke captures a wide variety of ServiceNow admins, developers, architects, and product owners. If you want your brand in front of this audience, please reach out. Links in the description below for how to contact us about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks so much, everybody.